Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is DJ McGrath. DJ came across to us uh, when I noticed him on my algorithm, picked him up on TikTok, and I reached out to him and found out he was in Kindersley, Saskatchewan, which is not far from where we're at. Uh, looked him up, checked him out, and uh, yeah, man, the story fits. And as you can hear, his story is is pretty wild. You, know, you can't make that stuff up, and he's on uh, he's on a much better trajectory now than he was even just a few years ago when you know to the naked eye his hockey abilities probably made uh, everyone around him think he was living the dream yeah and dj's story really outlines like this glamorous life that everyone kind of i would say is sought after and the issues and problems that are behind uh such a career yeah, he talks about how everyone thought he had the world by the tail, but really he was um, depressed and, and had anxiety and, and he was, you know, putting on a facade every day, masking it with drugs and alcohol. And he talks about um, that there's way more kids like like him out there, people that are leaving school or leaving house their house really early. Um, you know, they're having problems that they don't have people that they can talk about in their lives. And he's trying to be that person. He's trying to raise the awareness so that, a couple of the, you know, the midget AAA teams in Saskatchewan are using his services as a mental health coach so that maybe there's a kid out there, one kid, that uh, doesn't have to go through what he went through. Yeah, and it's a, it's a really inspirational story of um, finding out that all of his, like, the dream of going to the NHL or the WHL isn't all cracked up to be and how DJ found that out the hard way and turned his life around from there and did and is now helping people do the same yeah it's a great episode it's a lot of fun to listen to and uh, it was a great great chat with dj who uh couldn't have been more honest and gracious forthcoming about the good bad and the ugly so without any further ado let's kick it over to dj mcgrath thanks for having me on man it's uh super fortunate to have a presence like come on yourself and, and sharing my story so thanks for for bringing me on today man well it's great to sit down and talk to somebody who's lived such an interesting life i mean you're not not that old you're 31 years old but uh but you've done a lot of different things and i think the the part that kind of catches a young canadian guy like myself um young using the word young very loosely is is you you got to do a lot of the things that we all thought we wanted to do you know go play midget triple a move away when we were young be the guy on the team in the hometown team play in the in the dub man i mean i don't know a hockey player that didn't dream of that you got to do all that and now you kind of get to come back and tell us yeah th- there was a lot of great things in there too but it's not all uh not all what you think it is or, or all it's cracked up to be and i think that's an important message especially as we you know the world gets smaller and we see these kids and that's what they are being shoved out the door to go play hockey yeah man it's it's tough and it's true and and like you said you banged it on the nose there like I got a lot of good things about hockey. You know, I, I took a lot of good things out. I met a lot of people. I got to travel. I got to live in the United States. And yeah, it was good. But no one really talks about what goes on behind closed doors, you know. And and these kids moving away at such a young age, me being from Kindersley, I had to make an important decision if I wanted to go to AAA. And I had to move away at, at a young age. And just looking back now, man, like I, I remember I was just a young kid. And all I wanted to do is play hockey, you know, growing up in a small town, Saskatchewan, a town of 4,500 people. It was kind of normal to play hockey. You know, I had two older brothers that played hockey and they kind of led me the way. And ever since I remember putting a hockey stick in my hands, man, that was, that was my dream was to make it to the NHL. And like you said, that's kind of everyone's dream. And I knew I'll never forget uh, the general manager. I played for the Saskatoon contacts at 15 years old and, I'll never forget, I was the only kid on that team that had a billet that first year. And I knew I was hockey ready and I was pumped. And like you said, I was kind of, 
a better than everyone, I guess you could say. And I was kind of a top end kid here. And I'll never forget the general manager calling my dad the night before I had to leave and saying how to get billeted with a school teacher. And I remember right then that was kind of when I felt homesick. I, I didn't want to go, but how am I supposed to tell my parents, right. you know, about hockey and, and kids looking up to me. Right. It was a hard decision I had to make, but I, I knew I wanted to make the NHL like most kids around here that they have that dream and make it to the NHL. Well, you know how many percentage of kids actually make it there. So yeah, man, I was just a, lo a lost kid that had a dream and, and it kind of went downhill moving away from home. Well, and, and you think about what a 15 year old kid, you know, today, like my son's 15 years old and Kindersley to Saskatoon's, you know, a two hour rip down the road and it's, it's pretty makeable drive, but, uh, but it's all the other things that go into a kid at 15 years old that shape him and, and, and make him into the person that they become that, that you kind of have to let go and hope that the people around though that person, as they go out are going to, you know, do the, do the, the guiding and the mentoring along the way. What was that like when you got there and you kind of got settled and, and hockey was like that kind of uh, that, that thing that you knew and you were good at and, and, away from the ice how big of an adjustment was it yeah and i remember it was like yesterday man like i was a 15 year old kid and all i want to do is play hockey and right when i got there i obviously got met my billets um i had to go to a completely different school i had a i had to meet my whole hockey team i didn't really know too many players because i was from kindersley and i was the only kid kind of in a small town that got to play for this team and man i remember the first week it was I was scared. I, 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 I was worried about what everyone would think of me. You know, I was still a top scorer on that team at 15 years old. I was still performing on that ice because I was myself on the ice. But going to school, waking up in a, in a completely different house and me being 15 years old, I didn't know any better. I was scared of speaking up. You know, the, the stigma of especially hockey players, man, you don't want to show any weakness. You know, you don't want to you don't know how to speak up to your coaches. You don't know how to speak up to your teammates. And I remember as every day until I had my first rookie party and I'll never forget, it was about three weeks in and I didn't really, I didn't really drink. You know, I knew what drinking was. I wasn't around alcohol. I wasn't around drugs. You know, I remember it'd be mental health advocates coming into my school telling me and telling my friends that alcohol and drugs, but I, this had never happened to me. You know, I'm a hockey player and this would never happen to me. And I remember my first rookie party, man, Obviously, getting rookie treatment. I remember I had to get butt naked in front of the whole party. I uh, got really drunk. I remember taping two Colt 45 warm beers in my hands. And we had to chug it. And I remember, man, I got so drunk, but my feelings were gone. You know, my I wasn't nervous anymore. My depression, my anxiety, my homesickness was completely gone. And I, I, I found out in early, I was a really outgoing kid, meaning when I was drunk, I had to be the life of the party. I had to be the guy to make sure everyone else was having a good time where I wasn't looking after myself. And yeah, right. That first rookie party, man, that's kind of when I, I went on an everyday drinking at 15 years old. So you were still able to perform at that level while you were exploring this for the first time. And I mean, you, you, you ended up playing major junior hockey. So obviously you performed at midget AAA. How did you manage to explore that new side of, of who you are and what was going on in your life while still, you know, doing the things you needed to do to keep the, the other part of your life in order. Yeah. And I, I still think about this today, man, because I don't know how I did it. I was so good at painting a picture on my face and I was a competitor. Obviously I had natural talent. Every time I stepped to the rink, like whatever happened outside the rink, when I showed up to the rink, it was game on. I was such a competitor um, I was a good teammate. Like I, I was a good kid when I got to the rink, but everything outside of the rink and it slowly, slowly got to me so much where I couldn't take it anymore. And it was a huge adjustment, man. I remember I, I was in, I stopped hanging around with my teammates. I remember we would have off ice dry land at a facility. I didn't go, but they didn't care because I was a good hockey player which I still look back and I kind of wish they did. But then I obviously started hanging out with different kids. I started hanging out with the wrong group outside of that hockey rink. And yeah, man, I don't know how I, I survived, especially all the way up to college hockey. Like that was my play, man. I, I played hard and partied harder kind of thing. Right. So yeah, it was definitely a grind for sure. 
Yeah, and and I think that's like that play hard, party harder. That's like a, a senior hockey or, you know, the 20-year-old, you know, junior A kind of like as a 15, 16, you still had all this stuff ahead of you. And I mean, you did end up going to play in Everett and and all that afterwards. So you see, obviously, we're able to contain it and, and you know, like you say, compartmentalize when it was time to to perform. When, when you were going through the the ruminations of, of, you know, midget triple A and into junior hockey, were you able to, you know, were your parents noticing any of these changes? Were you able to hide that from the people that really knew who DJ was coming into it? Yeah. Um, I was not good at hiding it, man. Um, every time, like I, my mom's my best friend, my dad's my role model to this day. Like they did everything for me and I was, I didn't want to let them down. There's no chance in hell I would let my, my support staff, my family members, my best friends, there is no way I was going to let them know that I was struggling because it seemed like I was a leader growing up and I didn't want to show any weakness to my family members or anyone. And I remember when I came home, so after my first year in midget AAA, obviously I came home and finished that school year off. And that was when I started smoking cigarettes. I was heavy into the weed. Um, I remember in 10 to 50 minute breaks at school, I had kids coming up to me, like wanting my autograph and everything, but I couldn't handle it. I absolutely hated it. And I remember in those breaks, I'd be sitting in my buddy's vehicles, drinking beers during, during my school, man. Like I, I couldn't handle it. And I always remember there would be two school teachers always bringing me in and be like, DJ, you can't be doing this. Like you're a hockey player. You have a lot of kids looking up to you, but I couldn't handle it. The pressures and, and me already going down that path when I was in Saskatoon, because no one knew what was really going on with DJ. And there's not, not a chance in hell I was going to give anyone an inch because I didn't want to let anyone down, man. That's, that's how it was. And I was, I was playing a battle with myself, my whole hockey career pretty much because of that. And, and how, how much, did going to the next level exasperate that like the stakes are just that much higher and you also you kind of buffaloed everyone through that first stretch so now you're kind of getting some confidence that i can do this i can try these things and no one's gonna know because i can go out and put the biscuit in the basket mm -hmm. and then obviously you get to major junior and there's a whole bunch of kids that could do that all congregating together how how hard was that and, and what were some of the realizations that you took away kind of that first year when you were playing in Everett? Yeah, just to take it back a little bit, um, it was my draft year, obviously, and I didn't really know much about the WHL growing up. I obviously knew about the Saskatoon Blades and and everything, and a couple guys on there, but I'll never forget I was sitting in math class, and I had an announcement on my name, DJ McGrath, come down the office, and I'll never forget every single teacher, because it's a personal level being in a small town. You get a personal level with these teachers, and I'll never forget, man, I just got the biggest standing ovation from every single school teacher there. DJ got drafted third round, 66 overall, the Everett Silver Tips. And I remember I was petrified, man. I remember I was like, where the hell is Everett? I haven't even heard of Everett before. I'm two hours away from home and I'm homesick wanting to come home. But And I remember I went to my my house and my mom giving me a hug, my dad giving me a hug, and I'll never forget pulling out a map because we obviously didn't have the stuff we have on our phones nowadays. And it was a 22-hour hike from Kinnersley to Everett, man. And I remember I was scared. But again, I didn't want to let anyone down. I was the man. I thought I was the man, right? I didn't want to let the Kinnersley down because I was the only kid drafted. You know, Derek Dorsett played in the NHL. He was he was the only guy and a couple, Shane Nigam and Jesse Isman, kind of playing the WHL but no one in my age kind of in my area kind of went through that and I remember man I I didn't work out I ended up being like 220 pounds uh five eight like it was wasn't good and I remember going to my first camp in the WHL man it was quite the eye-opener man a whole bunch of guys I remember Radko Gudis he ended up being my roommate and he was great but just like being a top-end kid and then going to a WHL camp it was a night and night and day difference and I like to say this in my story. This was after my first camp, and usually the general manager talks to 
you and your dad after. And I was the first forward selected in that draft. So I had a, I had pretty high expectations. They drafted a goalie and then a defenseman second round. And then I was the first forward. And I'll never forget the general manager said, DJ, I just want to talk to your dad. And I remember coming out and I was like, mom, maybe I made this team. Like it's usually you and your dad. And my dad didn't tell me till four years later, thank God that the general manager told my dad to stop leaving bags of chips around the house or your son's never going to play for Everett Silver Tips. 15 years old, man, kind of, and I'm thankful to this day that my dad didn't tell me that till later in my career because they're in that stage of frame and that stage of mind and where I was at, I probably went to laced up the skates another day, man. So that's, uh, I ended up getting released, sent home, and I went back to Saskatoon, played another year, and I finally, like, started working out. You know, I kind of slowed down on drinking. It was just a feeling like, I have to do it. I have to make ever because I don't want to let anyone down. I can't let anyone down. I remember I lost all this weight. You know, I, I finally got in shape, went back out to Everett, made that hockey team. And it was it was awesome. You know, I, I went out to Everett. I thought I was this going to be a fresh start. DJ kind of slowed down on drinking until uh, it was, man, it, I was like classified as a fourth to fifth liner. Like, you know, going from a first liner to a fifth liner and I can't say two words to my coach because I'm petrified of them. You know, I'm 22 hours away from home. Like the first month, man, ended up drinking again, ended up not hanging around with my teammates again. Just the same stuff that I was doing in midget AAA. I, uh, I was going down that same road and obviously meet injuries to not playing in another lineup the first half of the year and me having to fight my own teammate uh, in practice to get in the lineup and just some stuff you have to do behind the scenes in order to play hockey. And I hid everything inside, man. And I relied on, on not drugs yet, but I relied on alcohol to cope with my feelings. And I lasted there two years and I kind of went mutual ways and ended up coming home and playing for my hometown Kennedy Clippers after that. So no, man, it was, it was good. It's quite the experience played two and a half years down there. Like I obviously had some great times, had some good games, had a couple goals and whatnot, but my mental health, man. And I didn't have anyone to go talk to. I, you know, I didn't have anyone I could open up. I didn't, and I was lost at 17 years old. So, yeah. So, so coming back to be to Kindersley and being kind of the hometown kid and, and, you know, coming from a higher level of hockey down to, to the, the junior A that's in Kindersley, um, you know, not the external expectations, but, but your expectations, like you, you were understanding of what was going on in your life and what led you to that. What, what was your frame of mind? Was this an opportunity for you to kind of put it all back together and enjoy hockey again? Or were you putting all this pressure on yourself to go out there and light the SJ up? Because you should, you just played two years in Everett. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. You know, it was kind of mixed to both worlds. Um, when I was a kid, I was a stick boy for the Clippers. My parents billeted Clippers for 10 years growing up and, I, my ultimate dream man was to play for my hometown Kinnersey Clippers. And obviously in the back of my head, I'm, I'm back home now. Maybe I could shape up a bit. And I did for a little bit. And, um, but I'm thinking in the back of my head, well, man, I can't get a scholarship anymore. You know, what am I doing here? Like, I'm, I didn't know I could go to the East coast or, or go overseas at that time. Like I remember my, my 18 year old year there I had a pretty good year. I had about 30 points in 17 games. Like I did really good as a young buck until I had a bad knee injury and ended up rupturing my ACL, MCL, my kneecap at once and ended up like I started slowing down on drinking ever since that knee injury, man. I, I went rock bottom from there. I remember I, I couldn't show up to my, I had to miss the rest of that year and it was a big year. And I remember I couldn't show up to the hockey rink without being drunk. I went right back to my ways and I remember I, I hit it for my family and I lived with my mom and dad and I was so good at it. I just, after games, they didn't even, they knew not to talk to me because I was just, I wasn't myself and I'd always be in the basement shutting that door and drinking a case of beer every single night and obviously smoking weed again, smoking cigarettes. And I did that ever my whole, my whole junior career right to my 20 year old year and ended up being the captain for my hometown team. My 20-year-old year, I got to be the captain, man. And it was the scariest, worst year of my life. It was, you know, because everything, I was rock bottom. I My depression was all-time high. My anxiety through the roof. But there's not a chance in the hell I was going to tell anyone because I'm a hockey player. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, I'm a tough guy. 
there's you know, not a chance in hell I was going to tell my teammate, yeah, he could be my good buddy on my hockey team, but we're still fighting for that line, spot in the lineup, right? No chance I'd walk into my coach's office and tell him I'm depressed. Like, I'm not okay. Because in the back of my head, I'd be, I'm a distraction on the team. I'm going to get traded. What's wrong with DJ? There's not, there's no way I was going to do that. So I tried doing it on my own and it did not work out for me. And after that 20 year old year, man, like I was rock bottom until I got a phone call to go play college hockey. And man, that's kind of when drugs started coming. And yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. So a couple of times you've, you kind of mentioned rock bottom, mm -hmm. uh, but you've always managed to find a, a little bit level below that. <laughs> where so you went out to red deer to play to play for red deer college mm -hmm. and and you talk about like drugs really for the first time i mean you talked about a couple injuries and uh you know you didn't have like painkiller issues or anything yeah. like that like a lot of hockey players do but but you you get an opportunity to go to to red deer and and like you said this could be a chance to really fresh start start over you kind of know what doesn't work um, but you get yourself into a situation where you're you're actually somehow digging deeper. What when you're in the midst of all that, DJ? What's that like? Do you do you are you aware of it even, or are you just trying to get to the next day so bad that you're doing whatever you can to get there? Yeah, exactly. I'm taking it day by day, man. Like I'm hoping to survive another day. Like that's what you you said, nail on the head there. Like I had four free years of school because of the WHL, and I. And I, I wasn't ready to be done hockey. I wasn't ready for the real world yet. Um, and I got a full ride going down to Red Deer, man. And I'll never forget. This is another opportunity. I failed twice. My hockey career is almost done. DJ figured it out. And I tried doing it. Like I always say, I tried doing it on my own. So I finally get out there. First time I got to go to school again. I, I had no idea what I wanted to take. I ended up taking open studies and didn't even go to school. Now I'm living on my own and playing hockey and i remember i was always hockey ready man but i i was good that first two weeks and all of a sudden school started getting too much i i felt like i didn't fit in with my hockey team i i felt like i wasn't getting along but that's all voices in my head telling me like these things right and all of a sudden with my personality me being the outgoing kid i was at the bars all the time i was the the i was the clown i wanted to be the guy to to impress myself and and drink away and ended up staying so i played ended up playing two years in red deer and after that first summer i ended up staying in red deer because i there's not a chance in hell it's going to show my face in kindersley like i was back drinking every single day i was broke i wasn't stealing money from my parents but they were obviously helping me out with money and them thinking that i'm spending it on school on food but no i'm spending it on alcohol and i remember i'll never forget like it was yesterday man uh, my, one of my guys I met down there brought a bag of cocaine over to my house that summer, my 21 year old year summer, man. And the first line of cocaine I did, I was hooked every day for 10 years. So, so talk about that. I mean, that's, you didn't have 10 years of hockey ahead of you, but you had 10 years of, of fighting for your life ahead of you. And you didn't know that at the time. Um, some of the skills that you had as a hockey player, that tenacity, that, you know, setting a goal and, and working towards achieving it. How do you, how do you transfer some of that into just life going out? You know, nobody cares about, about plus minus and penalty minutes in real life. And you're trying to, to get on with that part of it while you're still carrying all that baggage that you just talked about. What, 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 what was that first, you know, transition out of hockey like for you it was awful man um i remember after that year too i i quit i was a full-blown uh, cocaine every single day and i was drinking every day and i wasn't myself and man i remember calling my dad once again dad i can't do this anymore man i'm i'm ready to be done my knee was bugging me obviously i wasn't doing my rehab enough and and i wasn't the hockey player i was i always had my hockey talent man and all of a sudden like that last year i think everything just came everything came and and caught me kind of thing right and i remember calling my dad dad i i was crying i remember i was like dad i'm done i, I just want to come home like i i'm over this but no one has a sniff of what i've been through no one has a clue what's really going on my parents just think that i i'm 
I can't, I'm not good at school. Like it didn't work out for me. I was ready to come home. And I remember a four hour drive, man, cried the whole way home, came home to Kinnersley and my parents ended up getting me a condo and I got myself my life savior dog that's sitting beside me. But I remember I was, I moved back home and ended up getting a job selling vehicles of all jobs, man. I'm still dealing with the public, but it was an every single day, um, after work, 5.30, grab drugs, and I would shut my door, lock my door, shut my curtains, and cry myself to sleep every night, man. Everyone was wondering, where's DJ? How come you're not playing senior hockey? Because we have a pretty competitive senior league in, in Kindersley, and I didn't show my face in the hockey rink for three years. I, I couldn't. I ghosted and I, that's not who I was as a kid. I was such an outgoing kid. I was a leader. You know, everyone knew who I was because I was such a good kid, but now I'm so lost. I'm suicidal now. Um, I pissed my career away, my school away, all my negative thoughts. I wasn't showing up to my family functions like Christmas time and, and that didn't go to my best friend's wedding, didn't go to my cousin's wedding because I was eating myself alive. And and the only way I thought I could cope with it, that I could just erase from life and not having to think about my depression, anxiety and everything I've been through was alcohol and drugs every single night, man. And it was a 10 year every single day. And I honestly don't know how I, I say, I don't know how I'm still here. I don't know why i'm still here you know what i mean like it's just like i've done so much to myself bad and i'm just thankful every single day now man like it's just like i hit rock rock bottom until the night of june 6 of 2022 was the night that saved my life so well obviously the the plan for dj wasn't over then right like whatever however you want to reconcile it whether it's you know your faith in in god or something or just you know however um you you were built with the constitution to be able to achieve june 6 2022 and that was like the start of you know for the purposes of this the second act for you why don't you talk a little bit about that night and and kind of you know what led up to it and what what occurred to to help you get to where you are today yeah um it was yeah i was doing my thing it was 11 o'clock at night I was in my room, man, and I still don't know this, why I got this feeling. It was like an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, man. And it was the devil telling me, you're fine, Deej. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you'll be fine. But it was a sense of hope. I've never felt this feeling in 10 years. It was finally a sense of hope that I could tell someone. I still can't picture this feeling, but this feeling I could finally go and tell someone. And right when I thought about that, just a big release, like, just like, oh my God, I, this is over because I, I had a rope in my room, man, that night of June 6th, 2022. Like it was a, it was a do or die situation for me, man. I'm so thankful. I remember packing up my, or getting my truck and driving to my parents' house. It was about a five minute drive and it took me 25 minutes, man. I was going over different scenarios in my head. How am I going to, how am I going to tell my parents absolutely everything? How am I going to, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Am I going to get betrayed? Like, it's just all those negative voices in my head telling me the worst. And finally had the courage, man. And I pulled up to my parents' house. And I remember opening up that door and my mom's across the kitchen. And I remember I just started bawling. Like I've never bawled in my life, but it was just like a release. And I remember my dad's footsteps coming up the stairs. And that guy's my guy, man. Like that guy, put on the miles for me and my brothers and everything. And I remember started bawling even more. And the only thing that came to my mouth when I looked at my dad's eyes was dad, I am dancing with the devil. Best thing my parents did for me that night, man, was let me talk. Um, they had no interruptions. I laid out everything from the day I moved away from why I'm here now. I didn't leave anything. I, I laid out everything on that table and the three words that saved my life, man, right when I was done, my mom gave me the biggest hug and said she was proud of me. And I still get the butterflies, man. Like that was, that was those three words saved my life. And I'm so, so thankful. And that's why I get to do what I do. It's all because I spoke up and I tried doing everything on my own. I was too scared of getting judged. I was too scared of people, you know, like belittling me, but that's not the case. Cause when I spoke up, 
I, I, I get to do what I'm doing now. Obviously, we're going to talk about, but yeah, that night of June 6th of 2022, I remember my mom's like, oh, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I, I'm scared of counseling. I'm scared of rehab. I don't know. Like, I don't know anything about it. So what I did, man, I, I knew I had to prove to myself something after everything I've been through. I'm a, I knew I was a competitor. I said, I want to do one thing. I remember packing my dog up and myself went to the lake for three weeks, man. It was the worst three weeks of my life, but here I am a year and three months sober to that night, man. And, and it was, I'm just so thankful that I, that I spoke up. So you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're doing what you're doing now, which is, you know, a, a very noble and, and, uh, and great thing, but you're, you're still, you know, very much in the infancy of your sobriety, right? In the grand scheme of things, 15 months is after 10, plus years of of addiction and and mental health uh upheaval um when you came back from the lake was there a a plan was was helping other people and doing what you're doing now part of it or how did that all come about as something that you knew needed to be a part of your recovery as well yeah and this is this is important too i I was about month three in. I still was selling vehicles and I was struggling really hard because I didn't have anyone to go to. Um, I remember finally releasing it that, you know, I, cause I had to come back home to Kinnersley and tell people and that was the hardest thing to do, but I did it. And I remember I was struggling, you know, I, I'm trying to basically live again, you know, set my routine in the morning, which I still do every single day. But I remember I was month three and I, and I was like, I know there's players. I know there's athletes. I know I'm not the only one that goes through this. I know I'm not alone on this. And I remember I was talking to a buddy and he's like, Deej, why don't you just create a Facebook, create a TikTok, create an Instagram and share your story. And I remember I'm like, not a chance, man. There's no way in hell people are going to yeah. listen to me. There's no, that's obviously the negative voices in my head again, telling me, no, like you're an idiot. Why are you thinking about that DJ? And fair enough. I'm going to said, screw it. And I remember I, I created a TikTok, Instagram. I did like a little uh, story about my my life and just like, you're not alone. These athletes, you're not alone. It's okay to speak up. I kind of did a little bit of my story and ended up getting flown out to Toronto there a week later with that Brady Leovold out in Toronto there. Mental health hockey is a big advocate out in Ontario and got to quit my job in November. And I shared my story to my own high school and elementary school. It's the first time I shared my story. or well, the second time other than Toronto, but ever since then I got to quit my job and it's just been a snowball, man. I'm, I'm just a guy with a story and, and I'm real and a guy with experience and I'm helping. And just how many messages I get a day of kids and players and parents and everyone struggling. Like it's, it's scary. So I'm just doing my part, man. And I'm a firm believer when a guy is being vulnerable and has a story, kids could relate, right? Kids could relate to stories. Cause I remember when I was a kid, I had mental health guys coming in and I couldn't relate. They had slideshow after slideshow and I didn't have anyone that I could relate to. And maybe that would help me out, but that's what I'm doing, man. It's, it holds me accountable at the end of the day. That's the biggest thing. But I know if I am helping what one person, if I'm helping one kid, I know I'm doing something right in this world. And, and, and in the day it keeps me accountable, man. So yeah, I had uh, I had Brady on well, a hundred episodes ago. I had him on very early, and and his story was, I mean, remarkable. He was on Sean Newman's podcast at Lloyd Ministers, where I heard of him, and and then I reached out. And it, the interesting part for me with him is is he, you know, he got hurt, and that's really where his addiction took a hold of his life. And and you were able to, you know, avoid that the, the painkillers and stuff. It was just the other parts of your life. And I think that just goes to show uh, how many tentacles there are, how many opportunities there are in a young athlete's life, not just hockey players to, to have this happen when there is no mentorship and there is no playbook for somebody leaving home at, at 15 or, or 16, 17 to go and do this and, and have some of the pressures that are put on to people. And, and I think it's, you know, a testament to you and Brady and, and the folks that are out there doing this kind of stuff to put the message out. But what, what, what's something that you do, you know, with your experience that you have to kind of 
you know, maybe the next DJ will will hear your story and reach out. What's the what's the little I don't know the the twist that you put on this that that you hope that somebody can avoid, you know, the last 15 years of of heartbreak that you had to endure by by sharing your story. Yeah, um and that's so very important, man. Like my goal at the end of the day is if I get my story out there and if I tell it raw and real like I have been, I want to be these kids cuz it's such a tough world, man. If these kids like if they're got put in a situation which these kids are, I hopefully I could be in the back of their mind. I hopefully you know, I could be the guy and it's not like I go and speak to the kids too. I, I stay after for hours. I talk to the kids, end up, I end up going back out and playing street hockey a month later with all these schools, just to, just to know I'm there. And it, and goes, it just shows kids that it's okay to not be okay. And I'm a big believer on that. Like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to have an off day, but it's not okay to stay like that. And you got to speak up. Like I'm a big guy on being vulnerable and speaking up because that's what saved my life is speaking up and i know there's so many countless kids and people that are being silent out there and and it's scary man and and the bullying what goes on on schools too like it's just it's crazy so if i could do my part and 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 i'm a firm believer man i i came through hell and back and and if you know kids could relate and if i if i could just help out that one kid like it's i'm doing my job and it's it's neat it's needed you know there's not there's not enough out of it i'm gonna be completely blamed like hockey teams hockey organizations they need mental health advocates in these leagues and it can't just be a random person it has to be someone with experience and played that game because these kids could relate to because i get 100 messages a day man on on guys on on east coast guys pro guys whl guys are messaging me saying i'm struggling because i have no one to talk to i don't trust anyone and it's scary when you got a guy who's a part of that organization that's been there and there for the guys. And you could talk to these players one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have to talk about hockey. You could talk about whatever life. It can help it go a long ways. Cause I know if I had that when I was a hockey player and I knew I was okay, if I had a coach sit me down and be like, DJ, I know you're dealing with stuff. I know you have anxiety, depression. We're going to get through this together. If I had that one simple conversation with the coach, man, that would be a game changer, but it does not happen. So that's my goal. And that's why I'm in here because I want to help out these athletes and I want to get in these organizations and because it's going to be a team success, you know, individual success, everything, because mental health is number one. So that's, I got so much passion for this, man, as you could tell, because it's just, it's needed. Well, and I think it's the point you bring up is, is, unless you've been on the inside, you know, you see these young hockey players, uh, they look like they have the world by the tail, right? They're popular at school. Once school's over, they kind of have some advantages or perceived advantages. Um, and, and they get, you know, an opportunity to go and people hear their names and the crowd's cheering, but that stuff fades. And, and often what you're left with is a, is a person who is incomplete at that age, right? They, they've, ne there's things that they've never had to develop because of, people knowing their name and people, you know, cheering them on. And I think you hear the conversations with people that say exactly what you're saying. I'm, I'm not going to go. Everyone says, well, you had this huge support system around you, but that's not the case. No one's going to go in and volunteer that because it's a sign of weakness or like you say, you might get traded or, or however. And I just think that, you know, what you're doing now, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about how you've been affiliated uh, with a couple of the teams in the, in the midget AAA league in Saskatchewan. I think you're by keeping it facilitated by the team and by the league, but separate a little bit from mm -hmm. the, the decision makers. Maybe there's a hope out there. Maybe there's a chance that some kid's going to put his hand up and say, you know, I, I, I'm struggling with grade 10 math mm -hmm. six hours away from my mom and dad. And, and maybe that's the thing that you can help them with, whether or not you know how to do the math. That's not, that's immaterial, right? Mm -hmm. No, it's, 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 it'd be huge. Just knowing that these kids could reach out to an outlet that they're not going to be worried. They're not going to be scared because it's going to relay back to the coaches and, and that, cause you're right, man, 15 years old, like they're young. And I'm so happy that you said about, you kind of get that extra leverage of being a hockey player. You know, you're the cool guy at school. You might not have to write that math test because you got a hockey road trip and the teachers are going to pass you because you're a hockey player. I've been through all that, man. I, you know, my whole life, I was like that until you're right, that it fades. And when it fades, 
a guy could take it the completely wrong way. And that's what I did. I, I hated it, man. I remember I wasn't a hockey player anymore and, and you know, it's tough. So these kids got to soak it all in, but talk and, and talk to your mom and dad. Like that's the biggest thing. Like it's hard enough as it is, as your parents sending your kid off, you know what I mean? And you got to put trust in these coaches. You got to put trust in the hockey organization because you're sending your kid off at 15 years old, you know, and it's, it's tough. And like these organizations I'm with now, like I got invited there and I shared my story and I talked to the kids and they had a meeting and they want me back because they know it's, it's beneficial because they know kids struggle in hockey and, and life. So it's good having a guy with experience to, to help out that team for sure. What's your opinion on on hockey as a whole now? I mean, it's given you so much in your life. It's it's obviously taken its toll on you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're you're seeing some of these more forward thinking organizations that are are including things like mental health experts with their team. What's what's your take as someone who's been on the inside through the meat grinder, so to speak? What's your take on? hockey whether it's midget AAA in saskatoon whl in in washington east coast league nhl what 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 do you see out there moving forward yeah well it's funny you say that because i talked to the buddies i played with and i don't even think there's a chance in hell we would have made the whl in today's hockey (laughs) like it's you know the first the four lines are, are pure talent there's not really enforcers anymore and and that and you know it's a lot quicker i think this hockey's good it's good hockey obviously Mixed emotions with the fighting and stuff. I'm a big believer there has to be fighting in hockey. And now I know the SJHL and some junior leagues are having the full cages too, which is, you know, it's coming. I was such an old school, man. It's it's tough. And get kids, and you got to adapt to this new hockey. But I just think it's getting a lot faster, um, a lot politics. Um, we could obviously have another conversation with parents being involved in in hockey, because that's a whole nother game too, where, where it's just a nightmare. I remember I went to a U9 game last winter and there was almost a, a, a parent brawl. Like it was, you know, it's just, it's crazy with the hockey and and every, you know, there's a lot of parents that want to live in kids' shoes and there's a lot of politics that goes on in hockey. I know there's a lot more leagues too going on, eh? Like there's a lot more opportunity. There's you know, there's all these academies going on and all that stuff, which I'm, I don't know too much about, but I'm just like that, you know, back in the day, there was a hockey, double a hockey, triple a, and then junior and major junior or whatever. Like now there's you, you 11 and all this kind of stuff and all these new opportunities, but it's definitely the game, the game's changed a lot. It's a lot softer. I'm going to tell you that it's a lot softer, but I mean, there's a, it's a lot quicker and a lot more talent out there. So. It's interesting. My son is is U fifteen, um, or well, he would have been his. I'm going to call it his first year midget. I'm sorry if I get canceled for for calling it that. <laughs> but um, and now it's three years of midget, and he's only played contact hockey one year coming up. He was he was never on the on the elite teams, and you know his buddies are at that age that were kind of in that elite stream, and you're seeing it now, like where if you didn't play in an elite in an elite organization in Alberta, we have like, you know, uh, the, the Strathmore Wheatland Athletics Association, Okotoks Oilers, Airdrie Extreme, you know, if you weren't on their radar, you could go to camp as a, uh, in on their U16 and dominate it. But if they don't know who you were all the way coming through, they're not taking you. That's just the way it is. Right. And so we're kind of starting to see the split where there's some, some really nice hockey players playing like tier two, tier three in these smaller organizations and it's it's fun to watch, but it's to your point about the politics. Um, you know, there's PHL, uh, HSL, all these different opportunities. You, you talk about the academies, and I'm always curious for somebody who kind of ground through it the old school way. What what you see when you go out there? Because you know, I, I know a couple of guys who are involved with with scouting and stuff like that, and they have their opinions, right? If if you're not going through it the old way, it's probably because there's a there's a parent or a kid, right? There's a, the, the kid's got an issue or the parent's an issue. And otherwise, why wouldn't you just do it the way they've always done it? But that's, you know what I mean? That's just not the way it is anymore. So I was curious how some of these other opportunities present. If, you know, do you see that the, the there's an opportunity to avoid some of kind of the, the ostracizing part of hockey, or is it just, that's what it is. And if you're going to 
the cream when it rises to the crop, these are the problems you're going to have to deal with this, you know, the feeling like you don't have an opportunity or, or an alternative. You got to suck this stuff up. You got to do it for the team. You don't want to let anyone down. Is that just part of elite hockey? It is. And it is like, it's been like that forever. It really has. And, and it goes back of, of, yeah, you got a full team, but it's hard because you want to be the best player on the team. And I don't know, man. I'm pretty good buddies with the Brooks Bandits head scout, and I, I keep in touch with them quite a bit. Um, he, he coached the Clippers there. It's Wayne Labrie, coached the Clippers uh, back in the day too, and he said it the best because I asked him a question on what do you what do you guys, especially Brooks Bandits being the, the powerhouse of all powerhouses in the junior yeah. hockey, I'm like, what do you guys look for in kids? Like, what do you guys look for? And he said, he's like, Deej, man, like, yeah, you could have the talent. Yeah, you could have, we look for speed. But the number one thing we look out for is how the kid is on the ice and especially off the ice. They will call elementary school teachers and ask how that kid is in schools. And if 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 they hear this kid's a bully in school or, you know, doesn't really go to school or are or, or not a good kid, they'll write him right off that list. And it's so important and, and being a good person off the ice. And I say this in my speaking engagements because there's a couple bullying incidents of hockey players bullying kids that don't play sports. And I, I, I was upset when I heard that because these, these hockey players and, and these athletes, they need to be leaders in schools. You know, there's, there's, there's kids looking up to hockey players and these kids might not ha have a chance to play hockey because their parents can't afford it. Right. And, and, and when I hear that, like these hockey players, they got to be good people. Cause I'm a big believer on that. When you get a head scout of Brooks bandits telling me that like, it's, it's true, man. But I, you know what? Hockey's changed and you just got to speak up, you know? And if I think the old school coaching's kind of getting out, out gone, obviously you heard it with Babs and yeah. everything, Babcock, like that's a prime example, man. I know they're kind of leaning and brushing away all the old school stuff. So that's why I, me, myself, Brady and mental health advocates are trying to get in there to, to help out these athletes because we've been there and we've been on the other side of things and we don't want anyone to do that. But with having experience and knowledge that we have with life experience, it's going to go a long ways, man. And, and, ha and having Kale McCarr on your team, that also helps. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've had a, a number of opportunities over the course of your career and your life really um, to to recognize mental health issues, to work on your mental health, uh, to maintain your mental health, to understand what goes into making DJ the best DJ and, and what erodes that. What do you do today to manage your mental health? Yeah, I'm a big routine, 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 man. The, right when I get up in the morning, I make my bed because I accomplish something. Um, I journal. I, I'm a big journal guy. I never thought I would journal, but and I go to the gym. I used to hate the gym, but now I go to the gym. I don't even go there to look good. I go there for my head and I'm a big walker. I listen to podcasts. I listen to music and, and I talk, I, you know, I'm really close to my parents. So I call my mom every morning just to see how I'm doing. And my support system is phenomenal just because I spoke up and what I'm doing now, I get phone calls on the daily, just checking in. How am I doing? Which it helps so, so very much. And as you know, I'm pretty open. So when I'm down and, and I'm not myself, I like to kind of get on social media and, and share about what's really going on because it could be all sunshine and rainbows on social media, man. But I have my days. I still have severe depression, anxiety. I wake up with depression, anxiety. I can't even go to a grocery store without being, having anxiety, but I know how to deal with it. And I know how to cope with it instead of relying on drugs and alcohol and going my old ways. I know it's okay. I know I'm it's I'm not alone. I know I could pick up my phone and call someone because that's what's so great about humans is we could enlighten each other up. And the biggest thing is what I had to do is throw my ego aside. Is I had I have to slide that in there. Is throw my ego away, man. Being an ex-hockey player, you have to. You gotta throw it away and you have to surrender. If you want to get better, you gotta do it yourself. You can't wait for someone to magically come and and yeah, they can help you out, say all they want, but if you want to get better, it has to be you. So yeah, that's what helps me out on an everyday basis, man. I'm a year and three months and I don't take a day off with my routine. I don't do anything else. But when I wake up, I do that routine every single day. And if I miss something, my whole day is gone because I'm so, and obviously I, I don't really 
I had to cut some people out of my life. I have to, I'm trying to gain back some relationships. Obviously I burned through my past, but you know, it's, I'm, it's, it's good, man. I'm, I'm meeting the right people. I'm getting opportunity all because of I'm, I'm bettering myself. Right. And, and I'm having drank and having done drugs and it's, it's good, man. I can finally say I, I am happy with myself. Like it took me 10 long years to say that, but I can even look at myself in the mirror for, for 10 years. And now I could, I could look at myself and just be happy with myself. So no, it's good, man. I'm happy. So for the first part of your life, DJ, um, success was, was pretty easy. Yeah. It was agreed upon, right? It was goals, assists, points. It was wins, uh, banners, whatever, but, but everybody knew what success was. Uh, you went through a, a long period where the idea of success and what you were living uh, were, 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 you know, they, they weren't able to coexist. Mm -hmm. And now that you're, you know, 15 months sober, which congratulations, by the way, that's uh, that's an incredible feat. Um, what does success look like to you today and how different is it from from when you started on this path of of sobriety and and trying to help other people yeah um but i remember back in the day success was i was all about myself like you know success was me winning hockey games and me you know being the biggest party animal and me hanging out with the hottest girl in school like that was my success and now now that i'm sober my success is being a good person and me being sober another day me people always ask me like dg you're gonna be sober your whole life and like i don't have an answer for that but i'm gonna be sober just for one more day so that's my success man is is staying above ground and being a good person like you know i i like to talk i like to go out and asking people how their day is and and being that good person because i wasn't that good person for the longest time and i'm a strong believer on success and that is waking up being a good person and and just living life and and being real is the biggest thing man is and just being yourself and being a good person is my success in my books man dj mcgrath was an incredible conversation i gotta admit i didn't know what to expect um being that he was so close to um his sobriety that i i didn't know how you know forthcoming he was going to want to be and and much to my um delight he he wanted to talk about it all and you, you could hear it in there he wants to get it out there he wants people to know so that if there's anyone out there that's listening to it that says hey you know maybe that's me maybe that's something uh that that i can relate to that they know that there's somebody out there that can help them with that and, and i think that's the biggest thing is people need to understand that no matter what you feel you're never the only person that feels that you're never the first person to feel that somebody else out there can help you with that if you know where to reach out and, and DJ just wants to make sure that the young kids playing hockey uh, know where to reach out when they start to feel those, those feelings. So incredible pod, a lot of fun to sit down and chat with, uh, with DJ. He couldn't have been more honest and gracious. And we, we just love having conversations with people like him. So a couple great episodes. We're just having so much fun popping these ones out and talking to uh, all the incredible people that keep, keep, you know, returning our calls and answering our emails uh, we got a few really, really good ones coming down the pipe. And as we always say, there are no wrong answers. There's no test at the end. Make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music, Happy Rock. We would also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and give us any feedback you can. Thanks for listening.